Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. Now, the word wisdom here is wisdom in the sense of skill, intelligence, expertise. We are not thinking of the special spiritual wisdom which leads to salvation. The wisdom which is the fear of the Lord. The word in the original language incorporates secular learning, excellence in the arts and the sciences, and the general acquisition of knowledge. The same Hebrew word is used, for example, of the Egyptian magicians whom Pharaoh employed, who, while skillful in their magical arts, were actually engaged in practices which were forbidden by God. The word is further used in Genesis 41 to describe Egyptian officials who were skillful in administration. So this term refers to people who are wise in this world and for this world. Just like our English word wisdom, uh, the Hebrew word has a range of meaning, referring to precious God-given wisdom in certain contexts, but in other contexts referring uh, simply to the valuable knowledge uh, which is employed in this world. Uh, we can even refer it on occasions to what we would call common sense. And so it includes that which is wholesome in ordinary earthly terms. For example, the wisdom which says that if one works hard, one is more likely to succeed. Uh, one does not actually need to be a born again believer to realize that fundamental wisdom. However, less positively, the word can also refer to this world's highly fallible way of thinking without any reference to God. There is a wisdom of this world which is totally opposed to the revelation of God. And it's a deceptive wisdom. It's so deceptive that many professing Christians are deceived by it. And so if you look at 21st century Britain and, and, and the Western world generally, you, you see whole societies being deceived by the wisdom of this world. Now in Ezekiel 28 and verse four, uh, the Lord says to the king of Tyre, with thy wisdom and with thine understanding, 
thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Now, in biblical times, in the time of the prophet Ezekiel, the king of Tyre was the leader of a great trading nation. In purely commercial terms, he was brilliant at what he did. He was wise in that sense. But he was also a proud, worldly man who thought himself to be wiser than God. So in a certain human sense, he was wise, but he rejected the wisdom of God. His wisdom was the wisdom of this world, which is foolishness with God. And this is the wisdom of which Solomon speaks here in this verse 12. Now, Solomon himself was an incredibly intelligent man. He, he was a, a real intellectual. He was profound. He gave himself to the pursuit of all the knowledge that this world can offer. And he never confined himself to one particular discipline, one particular area of study. He, he embraced as much as he could. He immersed himself in secular learning. Now, to do this, as far as it goes, is valuable. If, for example, someone has acquired skill in a trade or a profession, then on one level, he has acquired very useful wisdom. His knowledge is beneficial. And he will be enabled in God's providence to earn a good living because of the wisdom which he has acquired. Think, for example, of the expertise of a doctor. Uh, obviously, that is beneficial. And it is far more profitable to labor, to possess such expertise, than to live merely to satisfy earthly passions and to obtain momentary pleasure and gratification. Now, such momentary gratification is called madness and folly uh, here by Solomon in this verse 12. I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, the pursuit of the pleasure of the moment without any other perspective. So as we said, a doctor possesses very valuable knowledge. Nevertheless, the doctor's worldly wisdom does not make him spiritually wise. When a doctor authorizes an abortion, he's being spiritually wicked. A man might have the skill and the knowledge to compose great music. He might be able to touch deep human emotions through his compositions. 
But this expertise will not render him any wiser with regard to his soul and to knowing the purpose of human existence. And music has great power to take people over and to affect their emotions. If we go back to the 1960s and we think about how the Beatles fashioned the mindset of a whole generation. But what did the Beatles do? They went off to the Far East to explore Eastern mysticism. They rejected the Christian revelation. And yet a whole generation were completely enthralled by them as if they were gods. And so musical wisdom is not true wisdom in the sight of God. And so a composer can, can write the most stirring uh, musical composition that really stirs the heart, which moves the emotions, but that composer might still be on the way to hell. And so a man's earthly skills and knowledge are not indicative of their standing before God. And we have to be very careful here. Uh, and in our contemporary society, we, we tend to particularly admire people with certain technical skills. We do admire, for example, the medical profession. But it's quite possible for the medical profession, generally speaking, obviously not talking about everyone, but generally speaking, it's quite possible for the medical profession as a whole to be anti-God in its general outlook. So we must not just bow down and worship before technical scientific expertise. The scientists, the real technical experts, tell us that the earth is billions of years old and came into existence through a cosmic big bang. Well, for all their scientific expertise, they are wrong and they are denying the revelation of God. Now, Solomon devoted himself to acquiring great stores of secular knowledge in all kinds of different academic disciplines. He was a landscape gardener. He was an expert in plant life. He was a connoisseur of wine. He surrounded himself with beautiful choirs. He was a great composer of songs and poetry himself. He has already told us in the previous chapter here that this knowledge which he had acquired, valuable as far as it went, nevertheless left him feeling a great inward malaise and emptiness. In chapter 1 and verse 18, he says this, in much wisdom is much grief. 
And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Solomon's great learning actually came to disillusion him and cause him anxiety. Because he came to realize that his wisdom did not actually make him understand the purpose of human existence any better. Indeed, it rather raised many perplexing issues. Because whatever secular learning is able to achieve, it is powerless to actually change human nature. And so one can have a string of degrees after one's name and not know why you're here on this earth. Solomon's knowledge, confined merely to an earthly perspective, actually has produced in him feelings of great pessimism. Leaving the providence of God outside of the picture and just dealing with the world in terms of his acquired knowledge, Solomon is pessimistic. He sees futility, vanity all around him. All his learning has quite simply failed to satisfy his innermost longings. But one could never say that of the true spiritual wisdom that's in Jesus Christ. Because this wisdom, is a source of ever-increasing joy and satisfaction throughout the believer's life. So Solomon is making a comparison between, on the one hand, wisdom or secular learning, and on the other hand, what he calls madness and folly, meaning the unbridled pursuit of sensual pleasure the base, mindless, brutish conduct, which even human wisdom can see the vanity of. And so he, he makes this contrast in this verse um, 12 here of chapter two, this contrast between the acquisition of human knowledge and learning and the base pursuit of pleasure, which he calls madness and folly. Now, many non-believers are able to use their reason to know that drunkenness, for example, is an empty and useless pastime. They observe that it is better to study and acquire knowledge than to waste one's resources in endless pleasure-seeking. Solomon, of course, knows that as well. And so he has accordingly given himself over to disciplined learning. However, having immersed himself in all the learning that this world can offer, his acquisition of knowledge has still left him feeling empty. And he's trying to resolve this. He asks himself whether there is any real difference between serious secular knowledge and the crass 
behavior, which is plainly madness and folly. Ultimately, is there any difference? So is there any difference ultimately between the man who just enjoys going and getting drunk and the professor of philosophy who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ? Ultimately, is there any difference? And so he says in this verse, and I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath been already done. So Solomon's argument is that he has had enormous resources as the most wealthy man on the earth. And great time in which he has been able to explore the depths of human knowledge. No one who comes after him or who makes the same search for fulfillment in life will be able to do any more than Solomon has already done. So in this sense, Solomon has carried out the most perfect of all social and anthropological and philosophical experiments. He has drawn on all the best data. He has immersed himself in the highest excellence that art, science, and culture could ever offer. His search for satisfaction and purpose through human learning has been total and absolute. No one could argue that if Solomon had had different experiences or had pursued different areas of study, he would have been satisfied. Solomon had done it all. And the conditions for his grand experiment could never be repeated. What man can compete with the king in the things which he has done. No one can ever have the same means of testing what this world can offer in terms of satisfying the soul as much as Solomon had opportunity to do so. But Solomon has just been left with this deep feeling of emptiness. And he says in verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. So he realizes that as light is better than darkness, so it is better to have knowledge than to be ignorant. He's not saying that all his learning was a complete waste of time. It is better to acquire useful skills and expertise and understand something of the world than merely to live on the base level of accrued satisfying of one's lusts and passions. So he does acknowledge that there is a place for human learning and acquiring of human skills. And then he says in verse 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Now, the fool who merely thinks about the gratification of the moment and the pursuit of pleasure 
is as if he has no eyes in his head at all. He is walking in utter darkness. And there are tragically many today who do think that they need, for example, drugs to help them through life. We have an appalling drug problem. Why do people turn to drugs? Because they feel it's the only thing which will get me through. They are longing for feelings of exhilaration. But the reality is that such a resort is nothing more than a slavery to lust. If one has to take drugs in order to be exhilarated, that's a slavery to lust. The man who seeks after earthly knowledge and learning, and who also thinks through the consequences of human behavior, does at least avoid the more obvious negative tendencies of his fallen human nature. And in Solomon's great experiment in the pursuit of knowledge, he, he did avoid simply succumbing <coughs> to the lust of the flesh. However, he was still not satisfied. Solomon, as we have said, he delved into the various delights of the palate afforded to him by the most extensive knowledge of wine that probably any man who has ever lived ever had. Solomon would have been an expert on every type of grape and every type of growing condition. Now, he did this as an aspect of culture and learning. And of course, insofar as he did it in that spirit, it was far better than merely drinking wine to stimulate the senses and then to fuel sinful behavior. So by his wisdom in this limited secular sense, he was avoiding the more obvious pitfalls of man's sinful nature. He was avoiding the folly of living on a merely base animal passion level. Far from condemning human knowledge, Solomon accords it due respect. He says here in verse 13, wisdom excelleth folly. Nevertheless, this secular wisdom does not satisfy. It's simply not enough. And he further says in this verse 14, and I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. My human wisdom has still left me perplexed, says Solomon. And so when I look at men, when I look at the worldly wise, and when I look at those who just give themselves over to base sensual pleasure, I actually notice that ultimately there's no difference between them. One event happeneth to them all. I perceive the plain fact that the possessor of knowledge ultimately has no advantage over the fool who simply lives for pleasure. Both the fool and the learned man 
are alike subject to trials, sufferings, illnesses, and chiefly death. And so we are not against learning, we're not against studying hard, uh, but we all know that having university degrees does not actually bring you any nearer to God. One event happeneth to them all. And that one event is death. Whether one is educated, highly skilled and cultured, or whether one is just an absolute fool and wreck of a man, the same providential events happen to all. All are subject to the inevitability of death. Death is the great leveler of men. Verse 15, then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me, and why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For all his mighty exploits in learning, his profound expertise in botany, biology, horticulture, philosophy, architecture, his great artistic giftedness. He was a composer, as we said, of many songs. He immersed himself in cultural sophistication. Despite all this, Solomon realized that confronted with the brevity of human existence, all his acquired knowledge was vanity because he's going to die. His life is short. His learning and his knowledge have still left him on exactly the same level as the fool. And this is such an important message for our day and our society. Because if we look at the last two and a half years in British society, we see a society which worships so-called science. But science does not get to the heart of the matter if it leaves God out of the picture. And so, we look at Solomon, who was a highly skilled and qualified scientist, but he knew that his knowledge, apart from belief in the creator of God, was useless. Solomon may well have been a king who governed with great dexterity, but in terms of the inevitability of death, he was no better off than a base pleasure seeker who was just rolling in the gutter every other night, blind drunk. And so Solomon could only conclude that his pursuit of worldly wisdom was vanity, futile. It gave him no lasting contentment. It gave him no perspective beyond the few years of this earthly life. Verse 16, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. 
Again, we emphasize that Solomon is speaking of the worldly wise man, the man who has skill in living in this world. And there are people who are really good at living in this world. They know how to get on. They do it really well. In a certain sense, we have to admire them. But if they ignore the one who gives them all the good things in their life, they are committing the ultimate folly. Because it is God himself who is the source of all life. And the wisdom of this world is so short-lived. Because life itself is so short. Those who are held in esteem, who are influential, who are much spoken of at the present time and looked up to and admired, they will be tomorrow's nobodies and completely forgotten. A new generation will soon come along whose modernity will make the present generation look old fashioned. We in modern Britain think we are so progressive were so liberal and enlightened. Oh, we've rejected all the values of those nasty Victorians. We're so much more enlightened. But you know, this is just foolish pride. We are not more sophisticated than the generations who went before. Modern Britain is reveling in sin as much as it ever was, indeed far more than it ever was. Because if you go back 50 years, they weren't telling school children to change their gender. So we're actually worse than the generations who went before. People who are great in their little day of glory are quickly replaced by others and will soon fade from memory. In reality, therefore, the highly skilled, knowledgeable and worldly wise men of today will be remembered no more than the fool will be remembered because death brings them both down to the same level. We read in Psalm 49 and verse 10, wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person and leave their wealth to others. Man being in order, abideth not he is like the beasts that perish that's what the word of god says man in all his worldly glory is ultimately no better off than the beasts that perish if he rejects his maker if a man's origin sphere of activity perspective an ultimate destination is only this earth then he is indeed no better off than the beasts He's just one of the beasts, as evolution demands. Now, Solomon is not denouncing human knowledge and learning. He is merely pointing out that it is useless to lift anyone above their mortality. Because wise men die, the worldly wise die. All the opinion formers of our contemporary society will die and all those who reject the christian revelation despite all their contemporary sophistication will end up in an everlasting hell 
How dieth the wise man, verse 16, as the fool. There is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. How dieth the wise man, the worldly wise man, he dies as the fool. Death is the great leveler. Expertise, knowledge, learning, culture, success in business. None of these things deal with the problem of sin. Nor rescue man from an ultimate vanity. The worldly wise man is still without the true wisdom which lifts him above his mortality. And the true wisdom is the knowledge of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Only Christ can save men from their sins and give them the gift of everlasting life. Without the knowledge of Christ, the greatest sage, the greatest philosopher, the greatest politician that this world has ever known remains an absolute fool. Verse 17, therefore I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon surveys all his endeavors in acquiring knowledge in the arts and the sciences, his great exploits in architecture and landscape gardening, his feeding his eyes and ears on aesthetic beauty and musical delight. Yet he could only say at the end of it all, I hated life. He hated life under the sun. A very important expression in Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means life lived on this earth without reference to God. It was all to him vexation of spirit. Striving after wind. The pursuit of that which is fleeting, unsubstantial and ungraspable. All human endeavour carried out apart from the Trinitarian God is ultimately futile. We are reminded of our Lord's words. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need a heavenly perspective. We constantly have to make sure that our heart is in the right place. Is it set on heaven or on this earth? To live one's life under the sun without the perspective that is looking forward to heaven. Well, such a life is utterly futile, ultimately. And so Solomon is brought to realize that there is no earthly knowledge which can lift people above the constraints of their mortality. There is an inbuilt vanity of life if you reject the one true God. Whatever someone strives after in this world, he is chasing after the wind if he ignores the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read earlier from Colossians 3, Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ 
sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now that was the hard lesson Solomon had to learn for himself. And it is a lesson that we believers always need to be reminded of. We must never look to this world for lasting fulfillment. So may the Lord help each of us to set our affection on the things above where Christ is and not on the things of this earth. May Christ and his service always be the supreme and primary focus of our earthly lives. Amen. Amen.